You're listening to Easier, a podcast about making life and work easier. I'm Anthony Wagner, and this is episode number 43. Each Wednesday, we'll embark on a journey together to discover the best tips for living and working more simply. I believe that when things are easier, we have more time for what matters most. This week, we're talking about social media. It's going to be a little bit of a more serious topic, but it's nonetheless important. Did you know that social media is designed to keep you hooked for as long as possible? Let's talk about social media addiction and how to beat it. Let's get started. All right, as I said, social media is designed, right? It is intentionally designed to be addictive. So that's kind of the topic that is informing this whole episode. But first, before we get into all of the, you know, the how and the the neurochemistry and all that stuff, before we get into that, let me just give you a little caveat. It may seem, based on a couple of my episodes, I talked about phone addiction a couple episodes ago, and I'm talking about it again now with social, and it may seem like I'm kind of railing against tech. So I make a living with tech. I am the chief technology officer for a school district. I use tech to obviously record this podcast. I use tech a lot, right? So I wanted to preface this with the idea that I do not believe all tech or social media to be kind of evil or out to get us, right? That's not what I'm coming at this conversation from. That's not the place. I'm coming at this topic from a place of mindfulness, of making sure that we are doing good by our brains, by our habits, and by our well-being as we're using these tools in our daily lives. So do I believe all tech or all social media to be evil? No, of course not. I love the devices and the things that they've enabled us to do. I'm just advocating that healthy awareness and healthy habits as we use these tools is essential. So let me start this conversation by bringing up where it came from, right? So I had known for a while. I've, I've read articles about social media and the addictive stuff that they're building into it, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I really kind of came up with the idea for this episode about a week ago. I was sitting in my living room with my boyfriend, Kevin, and he was sitting at one end of the couch and I was sitting at the other. So I asked him, do you still use it? Because I was just curious, you know, if this was an app he still used. And he said, yeah, I still use it, but I really kind of hate it and I don't want to anymore. And so I said, well, why on earth would you still use it if you hate it? And he said, well, I don't want to break my streaks. So I, you know, I keep sending messages every morning. And that was like really in my face uh, second wake-up call. Like, I'd already heard of this before and was mindful, but that was so shocking to me. You know, it, just the fact that he was stuck or he felt stuck using an app that he hated just because of those, that feature built in that showed publicly your streak or how many days in a row you've continued to message what whoever that person is. So that got me into researching this topic a little more and I decided, all right, I got to bring this to the podcast because this is affecting, I'm sure, a lot of people. So 
What's unique about this episode is that the social topic, the addiction topic, is going to span both make life easier and make work easier this week because it impacts both so heavily. So it's going to be one episode. This is both topics in one. And we're going to talk about kind of the the neurochemistry behind this and some of the examples and you know how to identify if you think that you know you maybe are having some struggles with social yourself and then also at the end we'll talk about some techniques for how to deal with it so first of all why is this stuff so addictive right I am not a, you know, neuroscientist, I'm not a neurochemist, anything like that, but I've done a, a lot of reading on this particular topic, and a lot of the books that I've read include explanations of brain chemistry. So I'm going to bring these, all these sources, I'm going to reference here, and then they're all cited in the article, so don't think that I'm just making this stuff up, and I will tell you what sources I'm using as I read these quotes and things, but to begin with this conversation, you have to understand that your brain has a reward center built into it. It was a biological an evolutionary tool that came out of our need as, you know, ancient humans to stay alive, right? We developed this mechanism in our brain that anytime we did something that was beneficial to the goal of keeping us alive, a chemical called dopamine would release and it would make us feel pleasure. So I'm going to read a quote from the magazine and also the online publication Scientific American from an article that talks about how the brain gets addicted to gambling. And this is closely linked to the social media conversation. So here's the quote. In the middle of our cranium, a series of circuits known as the reward system links various scattered brain regions involved in memory, movement, pleasure, and motivation. When we engage in an activity that keeps us alive or helps us pass on our genes, neurons in the reward system squirt out a chemical messenger called dopamine, giving us a little wave of satisfaction and encouraging us to make a habit out of it and encouraging us to make a habit of enjoying hearty meals and romps in the sack. So in other words, eating and sex helped us stay alive, therefore dopamine would be released and it would help us feel that pleasure and create a habit of doing those things. All fine and good, right? Passing on your genes and also having fuel to stay alive, good things for the most part. So taking that and extrapolating on it for a more modern time, let's look at the slot machine, right? So the slot machine, if you're unfamiliar, is just a machine in a casino that has those spinning tumblers that have different symbols or numbers or pictures or whatever on them. And if you line them up in a certain pattern, you pull a handle, you put money in first, of course, you have to pay, and you pull a handle or hit a button, and the, the drums spin, and they land on certain symbols. And if they match in the right patterns, you win money, right? You win. So that's kind of the, the general idea. But what happens is, is the reason that these things become addictive, especially for people who have gambling problems, is because every time they pull that lever or hit that button, their brain is releasing a dopamine hit to their body, sending them a wave of pleasure. And it's doing it both in wins and near wins. This is a big key here because some folks get even more addicted based on near wins. So the an article from, again, from another article from Scientific American, 
And it, this article references Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, which I've read. That was actually, incidentally, the first audiobook I ever picked up on Audible. So in case you're interested, that's a very good book. Charles Duhigg, uh, the D-U-H-I-G-G, I believe, and it's called The Power of Habit. He talks about this, the slot machine effect, and so does this article. So here are a couple of quotes from that article that will help to illustrate this. First, people with gambling problems got or get a mental high from the near misses, which is probably why they gamble for so much longer than everyone else, because the near miss triggers those habits that prompt them to put down another bet. In other words, when the machine spins, like you pull the, you put the money in, pull the lever, and the machine spins, and you get seven, seven, slow, 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 seven, oh no, cherry, right? And it's not seven, seven, seven. You almost win. And so in our minds, we're getting this chemical high. Oh my God, I could have won. Let's put down another bet. So another quote from the article says that gamblers who keep betting after near wins are what make casinos, racetracks, and state lotteries so profitable. Adding a near miss to a lottery is like pouring jet fuel on a fire, said a state lottery consultant who spoke to the author on the condition of anonymity. You want to know why sales have exploded? Every other scratch-off ticket is designed to make you feel like you almost won. They're manipulating that reward center in your brain to keep you coming back for more. Because if you almost got there, there's a chance. Oh man, I can get back and I can win. And that's all fueled by this dopamine hit, this pleasure center and reward center in your brain. It's all fueled and all interconnected. So let's go back to the slot machine and this dopamine hit and the unpredictability of the of the you know the the mechanism right you don't you never know when you're going to win and so you keep feeling like oh just the next time I'll win the next time and so i have another quote from an article from the washington post and this article is specifically about social but this has to do with the the slot machine uh, issue and it's the article is called it's no accident that facebook is so addictive and the quote is Facebook is perfectly designed, like a fruit machine in a casino, to give us a tiny sliver of pleasure when we use it and introduce a small measure of anxiety when we don't. A Facebook user says, what am I missing out on? Did anyone like my joke? A casino patron says, I wonder if this is my lucky moment or lucky pull of the lever. So these are related because as we're using social, let's look at the issue of likes, right? We constantly are checking to see if we've got more likes. I am 100% guilty of this. I posted a post a couple of days ago that did quite well in terms of the number of likes that I usually get about my recent trip to the doctor and my good physical and my weight loss and things like that. And I posted this and in two different places I posted it. I posted it in a, in a group that I'm in for the, the ketogenic diet on Facebook that gets recipes and then also on just on my personal Facebook. And between those two posts, I racked up nearly 600 likes, which is crazy, right? My posts usually get 10 ish likes each so I got so many and it felt like holy crap this is awesome and I kept bringing it up and as I thought about it I was like wow I'm really being fueled by these dopamine hits every time I get these likes and the like system is not designed by accident right this was designed on purpose to keep us hooked you could think like you go to your browser right on your computer, you open up Google Chrome or Safari or whatever, and at the top, you've got the bar where you put in all the the URLs and things in the searches, and there's a refresh button right there, right? So you hit that refresh button, and that's what reloads the page. Why do you think 
Social platforms don't use that, right? They don't put a button there for you to do. No, they instead do this pull down to refresh, which just seems like an innocent tool to help you refresh the status of whatever app you're in. It wasn't designed that way necessarily. So it's not nefarious, but it was designed almost to feel like that pull of the, the slot machine handle and you're you're never going to know whether you're going to, that notification light will light up. It's the same response center in your brain that you're hitting whenever you refresh that page. So this is not designed by accident. Another thing that is worth pointing out, and then we're going to go into some more examples, but you ever wonder why social platforms are free, right? You'd think that these would be applications that you'd have to pay for because they're expensive, they're big, they're huge platforms. And yeah, you know, there's this conversation about advertising, right? So they're all fueled by advertising. So do you ever think about what's actually being sold here? Because they're not actually free. What's actually being sold is our attention, right? The advertisers are the customers and we are what the customers are buying. They're buying our attention. That's why they're free. And the longer that we stay on the platform, the more profitable for the social company and the customer, the advertiser, right? So ultimately, it's in the social media platform's best interest to keep us there as long as possible. Another quote from a Medium article called Your Brain is Being Hacked by Social Media is, if you're not paying for a service, then you are the product and you are also being used as a guinea pig. I don't necessarily believe that that's the worst thing in the world. I advocate that sometimes big data makes sense. I don't mind being served ads that make more sense to me because it makes my experience better, right? I'd rather see ads for things that make sense than just carpet bomb ads that you know may or may not catch my attention. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world there. And also I use social advertising to help promote the stuff that I'm doing. The problem is that the platform's take it, I think they, they're taking it too far, right? So they're designing these platforms to manipulate that response center in our brain, the reward center, and to keep us there for as long as possible. So a couple of more examples. We talked about likes, but any platform that does the like, thumbs up, heart, whatever it is, they are manipulating the reward center. Another tactic that's being used is social reciprocity. Again, from that Medium article, this idea of tit for tat, that, for instance, when somebody sends you a message and the read receipt comes up, meaning it tells you, oh, they've read it or they saw it, on you, when you're on the, the receiving end of that, like you receive a message and you know that somebody else is going to see that you saw it, you feel compelled to respond, meaning you stay on the platform longer. Another example Notifications. Have you noticed that notifications have just gotten crazy? Facebook is even driving me crazy with this new fundraising thing that they're doing that they're saying, now someone contributed to a fundraiser you're following. You're not following it. I never I never elected to follow my friend's fundraiser that they started for their birthday, right? It's just because I happen to be their friend and they happen to be doing it. Facebook calls it that or says that you're following it and they proceed to send you notifications. And notice, I bet, I'm not sure about this, and I'm sure that if I did three seconds of research, I could figure it out. I bet Facebook is taking a cut from those from that fundraising, and so they're designing these notifications to prompt you to donate, which makes you feel, again, social reciprocity, making you feel like, oh, this person's doing this fundraiser, I should contribute to it, and thereby Facebook is taking a cut of that 
and fueling their profits. So that's another way. Another couple others that you may not have thought about, but some that are pretty uh, glaring once you notice them. You notice that Facebook changed the video in your feed to autoplay as you scroll. And also, if you've got the volume thing turned on to autoplay sound, you ever notice that? That was not the way it was before. You actually had to tap on a video to get it to start. Why did they do that? Oh, again, it goes right back to keeping you on the platform. You watch video, you stay on the platform for longer. And it's the same deal. I'm now thinking about it. That's why they're so heavily optimizing for video. Video content gets shared a lot more because Facebook shows it a lot more. And I'd be willing to bet, this is something I just noticed as I've been talking about it, I'd be willing to bet that they prioritize video over picture content or text content because, again, it keeps you there longer. If you're going to just scroll past an image and read the headline versus watch a two-minute video, oh, surprise, you're on the platform for longer. And then the next step is that, and YouTube does this, you know, a lot of the platforms do this, that the next video, when you're watching one full screen, or, you know, I'm not even, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that even when you're just in your feed, it'll do it. The videos, the next one automatically plays. Again, keeping you on the platform. And I've noticed that there are sometimes I'll just sit there. I'll watch one video for 30 seconds and suddenly a half hour has gone by because I've just continued watching, right? And they've gotten really good at predicting what videos you'll want to watch. So the ones that you like keep coming up, keep coming up and you just sit there. And then one last example that is worth pointing out is this idea of infinite scroll, right? You don't have to click the next page. You don't have to click to do anything. Your Facebook feed, your other feeds, they all just scroll forever and ever and ever. And that's designed to keep you there. All of these things, likes, social reciprocity, notifications, video, autoplay, and infinite scroll, all of these are examples of the ways that these apps have been designed to keep you there, to serve you more ads, to increase their own revenues. So, This is, uh, I think, a pretty big deal. I think that once you realize this, it kind of becomes a a big awareness moment. So uh, just a little aside, I have some neighbor kids who are kind of thundering around the upstairs floor in our apartment complex. If you hear some tromping in the background, that's why. Anyway, let's move into some signs that you might be addicted to the platform. And I will say that I definitely identify with a couple of these. I am, I think, more aware now that I've done all this research and so I'm being much more careful, but some signs that you might be addicted. Number one, it's the first thing that you do every day. Do you wake up and immediately check social? I don't necessarily check social. I have been kind of keeping those notifications uh, at bay. I do check my phone, which I probably need to stop doing, but I'm doing it more so to see if I have messages from other real people but that's still probably not great. I need to not check my phone, but that's number one. Number two, you cannot stand to be without Wi-Fi. You don't have Wi-Fi, you're freaking out. That's a sign. You can't put your phone down. Number three, you can't put your phone down even when you're with other people. Do you find that you have to constantly be on those platforms? Number four, you spend hours on social, often without realizing it. I'm guilty of this one. I'm definitely not guilty of number three. I am very big proponent of leaving my phone in my pocket, and I only pull it out for very minimal things, and I apologize and ask permission first. So anyway, number three is you can't put it down. Number four, you spend a whole bunch of time without realizing it. I've been guilty of this. Number five, it's your first choice for recreation. Number six, you feel the need to share everything you do. And number seven, you check in everywhere. These are signs that you might be addicted to these platforms and need to kind of consider 
what you're doing and whether or not it's healthy. So I have a couple of articles, one from All Women's Talk and one from Metro that are linked that talk about some other signs. So those will be in the show notes. Are your days super busy? Even though you're stressed and tired, do you feel like somehow you just don't get enough done each day? Well, you're definitely not alone. That's why I put together an awesome one-page guide on my top 15 strategies for getting more done in a day. These are all of the best productivity tips I've found from books, online research, and experience. It's completely free. All you have to do is head over to easiercast.com slash get more done to grab your copy now. Again, that's my free one-page guide called the top 15 strategies for getting more done in a day. You can find it at easiercast.com slash get more done. All right, let's get back to the show. So let's move into what to do to deal with this problem. What are some things that you can try to help you avoid this type of addiction? So the number one thing that I thought would be helpful is awareness, right? Now that you've listened to this talk, you're more aware that this is going on and you can help to interrupt the pattern as it's happening. Uh, And you can use as a kind of tie into an episode a few episodes ago, my talk about Mel Robbins' five-second rule, as you notice that you're in an addictive pattern or that you're, you've been on social too long, but you just feel compelled to keep scrolling, five, four, three, two, one, and make a physical move. Like, put your phone down. It'll help you to break out of that pattern. So awareness is number one, I thought, for what to do to break out of this. Number two, find ways to make it harder to get to. Our habits are really, really linked to how convenient they are. This is Gretchen Rubin's idea, but it really makes sense. So if it's a pain in the butt to get to your vitamins or to your toothbrush, you're a lot less likely to take the vitamins or brush your teeth. But if you put the vitamins right by your coffee pot or you make your toothbrush and toothpaste super easy to access, ours are in a little uh, wire kind of basket on our sink, you're more likely to brush your teeth. Now, I will say that I've gotten in the habit of brushing my teeth. I don't necessarily need that convenience anymore, but if you're just starting, that's helpful. Anyway, so make it harder to get to. Make these things less convenient. As I was recording this episode, I'm sorry, as I was planning for this episode, I had the realization that I need to do this too. I need to walk the talk and something that I do, which I think is just crazy and it's really been bugging me, something I do, especially at work, I'll take a break, right? And I will load up Facebook and sometimes I flip to Facebook without even realizing it. The It's like the seatbelt habit. You get in the car, you throw on the seatbelt and you don't even realize you did it until you're, you know, 10 minutes down the road. I talked about this previously, but I have a an icon, a shortcut in my favorites bar for Facebook and I just habitually click that icon and I've done it to the point where it's such an ingrained habit that I will click Facebook, scroll for however long, close the tab and immediately out of habit, click Facebook and reopen it. And I started noticing, holy crap, I just closed out of this. Why am I reopening it? So as I was planning this episode, I was like, you know what? I need to walk the talk and I deleted that shortcut. So now I have to actually type in Facebook into the URL bar to get to it. So that's one is to delete shortcuts, delete the shortcut from your phone, from wherever and make it harder to get to. Another one is to disable or better control your notifications. 
I talked about, I believe in last week's episode, about the app called Daywise, and this is an app that I use on Android to help control my notifications, but there's a whole bunch of ways to control notifications. You know, you could use Do Not Disturb, there are apps for it, or you can just outright disable them. If you don't have the notification tempting you, you will access that app a lot more. Another strategy you can try, this is one I stole from Gretchen Rubin's podcast called um, Happier, her podcast Happier. The strategy is to make your phone less appealing. So phones, both iPhone and Android, and I've confirmed this because I helped some people at a meeting I went to turn this on, you can enable grayscale as a mode on your phone. I have it on my Pixel. I've helped some folks with Android and with iPhones. And this just makes your phone less appealing, right? You turn on grayscale and suddenly it's not as pretty, it's not as exciting, it's less like a toy and more like a tool. So you make it a little less enga- you know, entertaining to use, the videos don't pop out as much, the pictures aren't as pretty, and you might be a little less likely to spend so much more time. Then you could try being cognizant of how much time you engage in your real life. Put down the phone and engage in real life. Something I actually enjoy doing is going out without my phone. And something I, you know, I like the the excuse we all use is, oh, what if there's an emergency? And those are fine. You know, if you ever need a device and you've left it at home, I get that. And I'm starting to see there are phones that are coming out that are specifically designed to fix that problem, to be only the tools that you need and nothing else. They can't do all these other things. I saw a phone, I think on Kickstarter that was like that. But leave your phone Go do things in real life. I leave my phone in the bedroom all the time. I leave it on the charger in my bedroom and I just don't have it next to me. I don't need it all the time. And so try making some time for that. Then you could also try tracking your time and imposing time limits on yourself. There are a number of apps to help you track your time. I think Facebook might even be considering rolling out their own. I believe you know Google and Android have done it. I, I think maybe iOS too, but there are apps for sure that you can use to help track how much time you're spending on the platform. And then once you've kind of become aware, it's added to your awareness, consider setting some time limits. There are also apps for that. So I have a link in the show notes to an article that has these, a bunch of apps. It's it's a website called developgoodhabits.com. And if you just want to go right to the link, it's developgoodhabits.com slash Facebook hyphen addiction. But I will, I'll have that link in the show notes. And then the last thing I wanted to bring up is this project called Humane Tech. And this is a project that was founded by a number of former execs from social media. So I wanted to bring up this idea that really reinforces how addictive this is, that former social execs are sounding the alarm about this. So as an example, one of Facebook's former vice presidents and I, I greatly apologize if I butcher this name, but Charmath Palihapitiya. <laughs> I'm sorry if I butchered the name. But anyway, he was um, Facebook's former vice president for user growth. And a quote that he gave to a publication on Science Focus is, I feel tremendous guilt. I think we've created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. So... These former execs, in a number of cases, have joined together in this project called Humane Tech in order to both kind of sound the alarm about the problems that these are creating and to do something about it. And one of the things that you'll be able to do soon, this we're still in May, but on June 10th of 2019, they're releasing a podcast called Your Undivided Attention. And I'm going to play the three-minute trailer for you right now. 
I want to convince you that technology is its own force that's pushing our culture in a very specific direction. I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm just not present. I'm probably spent half an hour just looking at the same stuff again and again. And we can predict what that direction is. And we can steer it in a different direction before it's too late. I'm Tristan Harris, a former design ethicist at Google. And I'm Isa Raskin. I helped build the open web at Mozilla and invented the infinite scroll. As former tech insiders, we've seen and designed technology that hijacks our attention. But the problems go deeper than that. Technology can shape our thoughts, it can stoke feelings of envy, hatred, and social isolation, it can sow division, it can tear apart our shared sense of reality. These are all aspects of human downgrading, when technology dominates increasingly different parts of human nature. Human downgrading is the climate change of culture, slowly pulling our thoughts, emotions, and what we think and believe on a daily basis in a more divisive direction. And like climate change, the result will be catastrophic. Except unlike climate change, only a thousand people in Silicon Valley have to change what we're doing. In fact, we have yet to meet a single person in Silicon Valley who wants these outcomes, which means we're all actually on the same team. As co-founders of the Center for Humane Technology, we've met with the industry's leading executives, designers, programmers, and we've discovered in each of these meetings a pent-up desire to not just talk about these problems, but to solve them. That's why, on June 10th, we're launching a new podcast called Your Undivided Attention. On Your Undivided Attention, we'll radically reimagine our technology ecosystem. We'll spark a conversation about how we can flip this from a race to the bottom to a race to the top. And to get there, we'll invite leading experts on human nature, the people that are most sophisticated about how we work. We'll talk to magicians, hypnotists, evolutionary biologists, the founder of the human potential movement of the 1960s. We'll talk to people who study the dynamics of cults, to experts on children's development, conflict mediators, experts on election hacking around the world. There's no question whether Silicon Valley is sophisticated about technology. But what's been missing isn't more tech or better tech. The thing that's been missing is sophistication about human nature. Eo Wilson, the father of sociobiology, said, The real problem with humanity is that we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. We need to embrace our paleolithic emotions, uplift our medieval institutions, and give us the wisdom to wield our godlike technology. And that's what we'll be exploring on Your Undivided Attention. Our podcast premieres on June 10th. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you may listen. So I think that show sounds excellent. I am definitely going to be listening myself, and I would highly encourage you to do so. I think it's going to provide a lot of insight into this problem, some strategies, some some stories that really will help to make it resonate. So I look forward very much to listening to that podcast and to being more careful about my social media use. And that's it for episode number 43 of Easier. Remember to pay attention to your social media use and maybe be a little bit more careful and mindful about how much time you spend on those apps. 
Also, remember that next week is the end of season two. I can't believe we've made it through two full seasons of Easier already, and I've already got a whole bunch of stuff planned for season three. So I'm looking forward to finishing out season two with you next week. Do you have any tips, techniques, or tools for making life or work easier? If so, email me at podcast at easiercast.com or leave a comment in the show notes at easiercast.com slash 43. Also, look for Easier on Facebook. I curate the best content from around the web that helps you make life and work easier, and you won't find it anywhere else but on Facebook. Oddly enough, I do like the Facebook platform despite the topic this week, but you can find those the group at easiercast.com slash Facebook group and the page at easiercast.com slash Facebook page. Finally, if you know anyone who would benefit from the tips I've covered in this episode, please be sure to share it with them. Hopefully every share means that someone somewhere will find more time for what matters most to them. Thank you as always so much for listening. And until next week, here's to an easier life. Bye for now. There are some geese. I don't know if you could hear that, but there were geese. Anyway,